welcome back to the Well-Lit Path podcast. So, how's your week been? Uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind week for me. Um, every week is just, it's full of blessings, full of struggles. In my full-time job, I manage a warehouse. If you've never worked in one, whoo, uh, that can be a spiritual struggle in itself. Uh, it, really, anytime we work in a secular workplace, we struggle with temptation to react in the wrong way, to say the wrong thing, or we struggle with how to witness in today's workplace. Uh, this week was just hard for me from a, from a patient's perspective. I really find it so much easier in these kinds of settings that we're spending together for me to exercise patience with people uh, than it is in my workplace. But what I do really enjoy are those small moments when you get a chance to witness to someone or share the testimony of your weekend in church, uh, how much God has blessed you. Uh, the hardships we experience in our workplace are contrasted by the blessing of just being able to work with and be a part of the lives of people who need a savior uh, just, just as much as we did at some point in our life. I find it easier to be that way and to take a hold of those opportunities when they arise. Uh, when I spend adequate time in study and prayer, but Prayer is another thing um, that I struggle with. I don't ever feel like I'm praying enough or, or at least not as much as I feel that I need. And it's weird too because it, it's literally one of the easiest ways to keep those lines of communication open with God and just maintain a healthy relationship with Him. And I feel like sometimes we... we glamorize or create this perceived intimidation uh, surrounding prayer. Uh, in our men's Bible study at our church, our pastor has mentioned several times that uh, sometimes when he doesn't, doesn't want to pray, he, he simply prays that, uh, Lord, I don't really feel like praying right now, but I know I need to. And I feel like if I could just tell you why I'm struggling with it, um, and listen, I've, I've tried starting off prayer like that when I don't feel like it. And I'm telling you, it works. As a matter of fact, some of the more precious times I've spent in prayer in, in the last year or so, they've started exactly that way. The God we serve is the most approachable person we could ever imagine. He literally tells us just, just to come to him. And when we pray, I find it really helps if we just start kind of listing out and just how awesome he is. When you start there, from there, it's not difficult to continue the conversation. Um, as awe-inspiring as it is that we can just have a conversation with the creator of the universe, it's also so simple just to start that conversation up with him. 
And listen, do, do you have things that, that you kind of struggle with throughout the week? Um, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you. You never know. We we may use something that you bring up in a topic in a podcast someday. We're going to get started in Psalms. Uh, Psalm 1 is an interesting little chapter that kind of serves as a gateway uh, to the entire collection of the Psalms. Uh, this particular Psalm, it doesn't have an author that it's attributed to, which kind of made it really interesting to me. It's like saying, you know, the human authorship doesn't matter as much as the message. And this, this really sets the tone for every psalm, as we can say that for each one. While we find that the human author lends contextual references, um, they have little to do with the message of each one. They, they really just serve as a conduit for the Holy Spirit. This first one kind of removes all of the potential discussions on authorship, and it just stays true to the spiritual author. And it's also fitting because as we dig into it, we'll see why it's considered a gateway psalm and kind of the key to the whole book. You know, I've often wondered why a, a book that reads like poetry, really, is just so vastly different from our Western poetry. Uh, come to find out, Hebrew poetry is really quite different than ours. Uh, Hebrew poetry really kind of focuses on accentuating words and specific uh, vowel sounds to kind of convey more where the importance lies, where in Western poetry, we rely pretty heavily on a syllabic rhythm and rhyme. Hebrew poetry really instead draws on kind of a parallelism. Um, what that means is it uses themes to convey the point. Uh, I might say Christians regularly attend church and then follow that up with churches attended regularly by Christians. So they, they kind of create that, that thing constantly. And the antithesis of that would be that Christians regularly attend church but the world finds no use for church. So this is kind of the type of poetry that we see throughout the entire Psalms. Uh, the Hebrew authors are constantly just drawing pictures for us. And I, I find that I'm really, really uh, pulled into that type of, of writing. Uh, one of the devices I like to use quite commonly when I teach is to kind of draw people into a particular setting or an atmosphere. And listen, here in the Psalms, we're going to find plenty of that. Uh, our associate pastor, Dan Kaufman, has pointed out that this first psalm intro feels kind of like the, uh, the don'titudes. I, I really like the parallel that he draws there because it, it matches that Hebrew poetic structure we just talked about. Uh, much like Christ gave us the blessed ours or what we call the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and lists how we can grow spiritually by following these instructions. Well, so the psalmist here gives us the don'ts, the things to avoid to have a blessed life. So let's read through the entire passage and we'll just kind of start to break it down. So Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. We're going to jump right in, roll up our sleeves, see what this means. How can we apply this? Here we go. So blessed is the man. It's interesting here that one Bible scholar pointed out that the blessed here is like saying he'll be blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed just continually without end. This isn't a one-time blessing. If you do this one time, you're going to get all the blessings and all the things. That's not what he's saying. But just like it isn't a one-time blessing, it's not a one-time practice either. Basically, what the Bible is telling us, following what comes next is going to make you continually happy like a room without a roof. So what is it we can do that will allow us to achieve that kind of happiness? Well, for one thing, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. When we break this admonition down, it basically says this, don't allow your steps, so that's your steps in life, to be governed by the same purpose that the ungodly allow their lives to be guided by. Well, so what purpose is that exactly? Well, I mean, just, just look around you. What purpose do you think that is? Uh, in today's world, everyone allows their purpose to be defined by so many different things. It is always in the moment. They, everyone's in this habit of allowing their feelings to dictate their purpose. Um, I, I feel like this today, so I want to be treated like this. Today, I feel like a princess, so I'm going to act entitled and get upset when something doesn't go my way. And please, ladies, don't take that as a slight to women. And guys, you can't tell me that even as a man, you don't have those days where you feel like you're entitled and you let just the slightest thing that doesn't go your way affect the rest of your day. Yes, ladies, even men feel like princesses some days in our attitude towards the world. Now, some people take that to the furthest extreme and a woman may say, well, I feel like a man trapped in a woman's body. Or a man might say, well, I feel like a, a woman trapped in a man's body. Well, these are defining characteristics of an ungodly society made up of ungodly people whose delight is to allow their steps to be guided by whatever 
they decide their purposes for the day. When you're not serving a higher purpose, a purpose that you're called to, you're going to serve some purpose. And, I mean, let, let's be honest here. We're pretty sorry at choosing our own purpose. But God knew that. And that's why he created us with a specific purpose in mind for each and every one of us. It's a common and a universal purpose for all of us to worship him and give him glory. That is not the purpose of the ungodly. The next little phrase is that we stand not in the way of sinners. Well, why would we not want to get in their way? I mean, shouldn't we, shouldn't we kind of stand in their way and with a big stop sign waving our hands around, you know, stop, we're standing in your way? Well, what the psalmist is saying here is that we shouldn't set up a camp and remain in the places where sinners remain. Their way that they're talking about here is the way that they act, the ways they go, the places they hang out. It's a mental way that they approach their lives. You know, God doesn't want us hanging out in the same places that sinners hang out. He doesn't want our minds hanging out there. He doesn't want our spirits hanging out there. He doesn't want us physically hanging out there. This is kind of, this is an all-encompassing way. God understands that if we let our minds dwell there, we'll let ourselves physically dwell there, and it will eventually and inevitably affect us spiritually. Now, the final instruction of this verse is it's, it's redundant for a specific reason. So, sitteth and seat both imply setting up a house within a house. Well, what we see here is that we shouldn't set up a house in the house where the ungodly are housed. The scornful are the ungodly that sit and scorn those that do right. They mock when they see those that do good slipping. Now, they may say, see, see over there, some Christian they are. I just heard them cuss up a storm when they got mad the other day. And it's easier for us even to get here than we think. Setting up a house in the house of those that mock or make fun of people is a slippery slope for some of us. You know, it happens most of the time. Really, really, it, it happens almost every time because we're deflecting dealing with issues in our lives by focusing on the issues of others. Oh, did you hear so-and-so fell into some kind of sin? Oh, did you see this person's Facebook post? I can't believe they were there. Well, I would never. Man, I, I just, I can't believe that family lets their kids dress like that. You know, we, we turn around and, and before you know it, there we are, setting up a house in the same house that the ungodly dwell in. Do we, 
do we feel happy there? Do we feel blessed when we're in that house? Do we just throw a big blanket over the top of us and get comfy as we sit there and, and we just flip through the channels of other people's lives? And meanwhile, our spirit's just, it's wasting away because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us on the fact that we're spiritually emaciated, steadily feasting on spiteful thoughts that have no benefit and that have no purpose for our lives. You know, Solomon cautions us against these same things in Proverbs 4, 14, and 15. And it's in those two verses that he says, enter not into the path of the wicked and go not the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. Solomon's telling us, listen, don't even go near that stuff. Go the other way. The best way to not be tempted by something is just don't even go near it. Because the closer you get to it, the easier it is to get more comfortable just due to our proximity. Well, so how do we avoid these three things? Well, verse 2 answers that question pretty concisely. It says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Well, how do we avoid these pitfalls? Delight in the things that delight the Lord. He delights in his law, so we should delight in his law. You know, the law was given us as guidelines for how we're to please God and be a delight to him. He delights when we obey him. You know, when Saul made the mistake of not obeying the Lord and bringing back a bunch of sacrifices and, and prisoners on a task that he was given in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 15.22 tells us directly, as Samuel is saying this to Saul, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. So if the Lord delights in our obedience, then that should be our delight in obeying him. And the best way to do that is to, is to meditate or commit to memory and dwell on his law, his directives, the things that delight him. That is where he wants us to dwell. That is where he wants us to set up our house, in his house. Because when we live there, it becomes easy to work on ourselves in the proximity to him. We stop focusing on all those things around us. We put down the remote. We get up and we start looking in the mirror. And that is where the real work begins. You know, it's, it's really easy to measure my own spirituality against people that I perceive are less spiritual than I think I am. Because it's easy to only focus on areas in which I perceive they have weaknesses and I have strengths. And that's what happens 
when I just live in the easy chair with the remote in my hand, watching other people's lives. But when I get up and I look in the mirror, ouch. My, my spiritual muscles, you know, they're, they're not quite as big as I thought. That, that good-looking spiritual life that I thought I had sitting in that chair, it's, it's really not as good-looking as I imagined it to be. It looks kind of worn down. It looks kind of like it hasn't exercised in a while. But, you know, God delights when we look in the mirror and realize that we need to delight more in the things that he delights in. God delights when we realize, oh, that imperfection right there that I can see in the mirror, that's where I failed him. Uh, Right there, I served my own purpose there. And now it can be seen by God and everyone. Oh, that, that imperfection there? Yeah, what I clothe myself with covers it up really good. But underneath everything that I cover it up with, it's just this sore that I constantly just, just pick at. And no one can see it, but God can. And I can only see it when I look in the mirror for how I can delight in him more by obeying and delighting in his precepts. When I look in that mirror, I should consistently see more of Christ and less of me. And what does all this grounding and delighting in the law of the Lord mean for me? Well, 2 Timothy 2.19 tells us, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. You know, rooted in the firm foundation of his delights, that's when we become like a tree planted by a river of waters. Firmly planted, well-nourished, The antithesis of this picture is a tree planted in desert soil. It doesn't have any firm earth to take root in. It has no water to be nourished with. And when we look at this delight in verse 2, isn't a a one-time delight. Just like the blessed in verse 1, it's a continual delight. We keep delighting ourselves in the things that delight God, and that's how we stay nourished and don't become like that tree that's in the desert place. We need to delight in our own personal studies, delight in fellowship and prayer with our Father, delight in preaching and teaching His Word, delight in worshiping Him in music. Do we delight? In those things? Are we well nourished? Because it's not nourishment to just do them. 
It doesn't say we'll be like a tree planted by the river of water by following God's laws and his precepts. It says we'll be like a tree if we delight in them. It's, it's not enough to go through the motions. We have to be all in. You know, it's, it's easy to go to a church service because, well, that's what we do. But when we leave church and we don't feel nourished, that, that's a delight and that's a self-issue. It has nothing to do with what was preached. You know, if the pastor delivers a message that proclaims God's truth and we're not getting nourished from it, maybe it's time that we get up out of the easy chair and we go look in the mirror. Do we look like a dry and withered tree because we're just not letting those roots touch the water? Oh, they're in the ground, but they're not reaching for the water in the river. You know, I'm, I'm part of our, our worship team here at church, and I, I'll be the first person to admit that and some Sundays I get there and I find myself just singing a song. You know, it's a good song. It's a, it's a godly song. And I can sing it with feigned feeling. But I'm not delighting in it. So I, I don't get the blessing I could get from it. It's only when I begin to kind of just let the world fall into the background and focus on who I'm singing about and to, that is where I find delight. When I don't delight in praising him, because he delights in our praise, it's those times that my, my roots aren't reaching deep enough. My toes aren't dipped in the water. It's when I stop holding back and just drop the roots all the way down into the river, when I really go all in, all of a sudden, there's fruit. Well, whose fruit? Well, it isn't my fruit. While the fruit will be unique to me, only, only I can grow this fruit. It's going to be fruit nourished and grown from the nutrients provided by the soil of the Holy Spirit, the river of life flowing from the sun, and the light of the Father shining down on me. It's not my fruit. It's God's fruit. I'm just the tree he chose to grow it on. And when the fruit isn't my fruit and my leaves are green because I'm letting God nourish me, it's easy to raise a hand and praise him and to lift up my voice and worship him. I don't do it because I feel like it. I do it because doing it is commanded. And when I do as he, is com he has commanded, 
That's what makes me feel like continuing to do it. The, the leaves of the tree are green and healthy because I'm allowing God to grow me and feed me. Those don't show what a good tree I am. It shows what good soil I'm planted in. It shows what good water is nourishing me. And it shows what great light has been provided for me to grow in. The tree has nothing to do with how it grows and how good the fruit is. It's all the product of the environment it's in. Because if I remove that same tree, if I remove myself from that environment, a good wind comes up and all of a sudden you hear the dry leaves rustling. There's no fruit because there's no source of nutrients. And then here I am, I'm back in my chair again with the remote in my hand, criticizing everyone else's shortcomings. I've placed myself in the dark desert of criticism and comparison. And I've let the earth I'm planted in become my own purpose. The tree I've allowed myself to become is withered and twisted by sin. And before you know it, my roots aren't holding on to anything. A wind comes up and blows me to the next thing I want to try to find purpose in. And that doesn't work out, so I go to the next thing to find a purpose in. Sex, drugs, alcohol, money. I I can put, put roots down into any of those things. But there's no river there. It's just trash soil that I'll never be able to hold on to. Why, why do the whims of the world change? Why does society at large seek for the next issue to champion? But we need purpose. And we'll take any purpose we can get behind. But because we're not rooted in good soil and planted by a river, our environment doesn't nourish us, and so we just stay a withered, dried up tree. We get blown here and there by whatever the next thing is, just like dry leaves. Do we want to be like the ungodly? No, the Lord, when he was admonishing Israel in Hosea 13, says that they had become like the ungodly, and because of that, they would be as the morning cloud as the dew, the early dew, which passeth away as the chaff that is driven. You know, they can't stand when a harsh wind comes along. And, and the world feels like it's in chaos because each one does as their heart desires and chooses their purpose accordingly. Meanwhile, the Bible says in Jeremiah that our hearts are desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. Desperate and melancholy, looking for a purpose that we cannot find. And we certainly can't find it ourselves. And if we can't stand in a harsh wind and in the hardships of life, how will anyone like that stand in the face of actual judgment. You know, with our own purpose in mind, we will be found lacking when we stand to be judged. 
there's there's no purpose that will absolve us of wrongdoing. Our own purposes and delights will not stand up against the sentence that will be handed down. You know, a great parallel example of how the Lord handles the ungodly and those that oppose him and his people can be found in Isaiah 10:34 as he speaks about how he's going to judge the nations that come against Israel and he shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron. This is how the Lord handles trees that are not planted in him and that don't draw their nourishment from him. Those that don't follow his purpose and delight in what he delights in well, they're going to stick out like a sore thumb when you look at them compared to the righteous. And let's remember, God is the only person who is allowed to draw comparison, and we're only to draw our comparisons by the measurement he dictates. Delight in his purpose? Righteous. Delight in self-purpose? Ungodly. Now. Can you be made righteous and still live ungodly? Well, yeah. How do you avoid that? Delight in his purpose. Because the way, the course of life, the lifestyle of the ungodly will cease one day and be no more. But the lifestyle and the type of life the righteous should lead That's the lifestyle we're going to live in eternity. Delighting in his purpose today, that's just practice for the eternal life we're going to lead in the perfection of his purpose. We can only practice it in this life. In the next life, our eternal life, we're going to get it 100% right. There won't be the pitfall of giving in to our own purpose because that way, that lifestyle is not an eternal lifestyle. Giving into and remaining in the way and the lifestyle, the purpose of the ungodly, that's an eternal death. There's no life in that way. And the way of the ungodly will indeed perish, eternally perish perish and die over and over and over again for eternity. It will have no escape is what this word perish implies. Also wrapped up in that word is utter destruction to have nowhere to flee. Instead of being planted by the river of life, this tree will be eternally dying, uprooted, planted, and then eternally dying again. The only escape from this type of perish, this eternal, repeated perish, is to cling to the purpose of God. And you know, we can't do that on our own. We can't do that without Christ. See, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He understands what kind of life it takes. And he made a way for us to live that life despite our inability to do so. 
Now, remember last week when I said the thread of Christ is what connects every psalm? We're unable to be righteous without Christ. We're unable to see more of him in that mirror unless he lives within us. The Bible says that our own righteousness can never be enough. Isaiah says that our righteousness is like a bunch of dirty rags that fade as a leaf and are blown away. We're ungodly without a Savior, and we always will be. Oh, but God. He knew our righteousness wasn't enough and that we would never be ungodly without him. The very definition of ungodly is to be without him. So how do we become righteous? This is the theme of Christ. Christ became sin for us and died so that we could be made righteous and have a desire to serve God and delight in his purpose for us. So what of application? Where's your delight? If your delight is in God and his purpose for you, you will be tempted to be like the ungodly. But by wrapping your heart and mind with the things that he delights in, we'll be able to avoid the pitfalls. We'll be able to allow him to keep us from the way, the lifestyle of those that do not delight in him. You'll never be able to align your delights with his if you never allow him to make you righteous through the blood of his son. And if you have been made righteous in that way, go ahead and delight in it. Celebrate it. Thank him for it. Let your leaves be green and let your fruit be bright and give God the glory in all of it. Raise your hands in worship. Dance before him. If you can't get a little happy dance going when you think about where you were, and what he's done for you then? Listen, you don't really know where you were then. So I dare you to get up and dance before him in delight. We better start getting used to that eternal lifestyle we can look forward to when he has made us fully whole and the world perfect. Listen, it's been such a blessing to go through Psalm 1 with you. Thanks for walking with me a little while as we read the word together. I invite you to join me next week as we jump into Psalm 2 and see what God has for us there. I can't wait to get together again with God's word between us.